You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. I've entitled today's message, Change is in the Air. A little knowing at the time when I wrote the message that if you've been anywhere in California in the last week, that our skies have turned black with soot, there's ash falling from the skies, Um, our cars are filthy, and people have lost homes and property to wildfires uh, in our area. And the sun, even at almost any time of the day, just looks red. It doesn't even look like the normal sun. It's kind of been blocked out. and, And it's interesting how people react when change is in the air, whether that's legitimate change or whether that's like a change of seasons, uh, a change in your personal life, whether that is a change like just the weather or a change of smoke from wildfires, that we are uniquely attuned to change being in the air. And at the time that we're looking right now, in the scriptures, in Acts chapter 10 that we've asked you to read ahead of time, that in this chapter, we're seeing a lot of change in the air. There is change in the church. It is moving from being a Jewish belief uh, in Jesus Christ, and it is now expanding, and in many ways, intentionally, out to the Gentiles. There's change in the air, change in what people were experiencing And under persecution, the apostle Peter has now left Jerusalem. He had been there for some time, but he's now left Jerusalem. He really has left the Sea of Galilee where he grew up. He now has left Jerusalem. He has traded it for the beachside town of Joppa, which would be modern day Tel Aviv. Modern day Tel Aviv is a young and bustling city right on the ocean, an oceanfront kind of oasis kind of city. And it's very modern. It's very cosmopolitan. And many, many young people in in, uh, Israel, they live there. They have flats and apartments. And that's where they live and where they work and where they want to be because it's a very cosmopolitan city. But location's everything. It's right on the Mediterranean. It's a beautiful location. And so Peter has fled Jerusalem in the south. He's gone north and and out to the ocean. And he's in Joppa at this time. And who's to blame him? Right? Who wouldn't want to trade maybe where you are for an oceanside opportunity? There's just something about a change in the air. There's something about ocean breeze. There's something that makes you feel better about salty air and salty hair and you trade your shoes for sandals and your jeans for shorts and you contemplate for maybe the first time in a long time what good living can actually look like. Change is in the air. About 40 miles up the coast, but still on the ocean from Tel Aviv, from Joppa, is a man named Cornelius. Now, Cornelius is not a Jewish man. Cornelius is a commander of a hundred soldiers of the Italian regiment. And this man is a godly man. He is seeking after God. He just isn't quite sure about the God that he's seeking. He is seeking after God. He wants to pursue God. He wants to be right in his life. And he's doing right things. He prays. He gives generously to those who have need. And so one afternoon, as Cornelius, as commander of a hundred soldiers, is resting, he has this vision where an angel of God tells him to send for the apostle Peter, who is staying with a tanner by the sea. So he obeys. All right, this angel of the Lord told me to do this. I'm going to send my men. They're going to go down there and they're going to invite Peter to come up and talk to us. Well, change is in the air. 
We're given an indication by that because Peter is staying with a tanner. And some of you don't know what a tanner is. I know you high schoolers are like, I know what a tanner is. That's a person who lays out in the sun, right? And no, no, that is not what a tanner is. A tanner at that time and that day and that age would take furs and the skins of animals and they would treat them to become clothes or goods or products. And that's what a tanner did. They all the time were basically having to touch and treat uh, skins from dead animals. He touches dead animals all the time. But what's so interesting is that Peter is staying at the house of a guy who touches dead animals all the time. What was a religious Jew not allowed to do if they wanted to stay ceremonially clean? They couldn't touch anything dead. And now Peter has traded his religious upbringing. He's traded a lot of his things. He's now staying at the house of a tanner, a guy who everything he touches, Peter touches, and he's almost unceremoniously clean all the time. And if they did, if a Jewish religious person touched a dead animal, they had to go through a very elaborate cleansing ritual that involved washing your hands. Kind of like we have to do now. No, it did not involve masks. It did not involve generally acting like an enforcer for the CDC. What it involved was you had to go through a cleansing process before you were allowed to worship the Lord in the synagogue. Peter, having been raised as an Orthodox Jew and a fisherman, is loosening up. He's throwing his religious social distancing right out the window by staying at the house of the tanner on the sea. So Peter, this former fisherman, he's now a disciple of Christ. He's now the apostle Peter is beginning to experience some changes on the inside. Change is in the air. And here's why you and I need today's sermon. God wants to change your thinking to match his love. God wants to change your thinking, my thinking, to match his love. He's constantly working to experience change in your life. God is all the time working to change you, to change me, to change our thinking so that our thinking begins to match his love. In fact, right now, God is doing that as you're watching a sermon, as you're listening, as you have the word of God in front of you, that he's doing it. God doesn't stop. He constantly wants to change your thinking to match his love. And a lot of times you and I think, well, I've, I have changed. I have adjusted. And I think sometimes God laughs. He laughs. He said, well, yes, you have. However, I'm always working. I'm always working and pursuing to change your thinking, to match my love more and more. It's a never ending work till the day you die because I want you to be in my image. I want you to have your life reflect the love of God to people around you. And God will change your thinking. He'll change your opinions. He'll change your prejudice to match his love toward those that he is saving. God's love is huge. It's bigger. If, if, if our love is a two liter bottle, God's love is the Pacific Ocean. There's just no way for us to almost comprehend how high and deep and wide and great is the love of God. It's amazingly huge. And so we are the ones who have the thinking that needs to be changed. We are the ones who have to almost like morph into understanding how great the love of God is. His heart toward people and his love toward people is immense. It's huge. It's bigger than civil unrest. God's love is bigger than American political opinions. 
God's love is bigger than unforgiveness. God's love is bigger than your heritage. His love is bigger than a virus. His love is bigger than your feelings. And because his love is bigger, God changes your thinking and my thinking to match his love. That's the work of God through his Holy Spirit in our lives. He wants you and me to love messy people that he's already drawing to himself. So change is in the air. So Cornelius, his commander, has had a vision. But a few days later, Peter has a vision. And if you're following along in Acts chapter 10, beginning with verse 11, it says this. Peter, he saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Peter in this vision was told to do two things. He was told to kill and he was told to eat. So there's an active part of it that, that something in him, God is saying, Peter, I'm giving you this vision and it's not about your dietary constraints. What I'm giving you in this vision is that there's something in you that needs to change. Something needs to die, to be laid down, to be sacrificed to me. And the other thing is something needs to be taken up and taken in and ingested. Your heart needs to be changed. Something needs to die. It needs to be killed. You need to eat something that maybe you've always despised as being unsuitable for you. Now, I'm pretty sure had that blanket been covered with bacon that he would have dove right in. I mean, because who can resist that, right? But what God is doing is not envisioning Peter eating. What God is actually doing was confronting Peter's long-held religious prejudice. He told him to kill, and he told him to eat. If you're taking notes today, write this down. God's will is to change your heart toward those you reject. To change your heart toward those you reject. It's so interesting to me in scripture because we keep finding that God, for some reason, deals with Peter in threes. He, he deals with Peter in threes at the time that Peter was called to be a disciple. It was basically three of them. Uh, that three times, Peter's the one who denied knowing Christ at the time that Christ was arrested to be crucified. Three times, Peter denied Christ. And then three times in John chapter 21, we see as Jesus reinstates Peter, he asks him to counter the three denials. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? God deals with Peter in threes. And now three times, he repeats the same vision. And in just a moment... As soon as his vision's ended, three men are going to show up at his door who've been sent from Cornelius to invite him to the house of a Gentile, which he was forbidden under religious prejudice to do. God deals with Peter uniquely in threes. Well, I wonder what God's number is for you. When God wants to institute change in your life, what is your number? When God's trying to get your attention, how many times does he have to try? Is it three? Is it 30? Is it 300? I mean, when God wants to get your attention, how many times does he have to work before you become open to what he wants to change in your heart? 
Let me tell you, the cost for some of you so far has been three churches. You keep bouncing around while God wants to change you and change your heart, not the church that you might be at at the moment. You keep switching, but God's trying to get your attention. And for some of you, it's not the number of times that God tries, it's actually the years. Maybe it's three years. Maybe God's been trying to get a hold of your heart for 30 years. Maybe it takes you years before you truly understand what is actually important. Maybe you've spent years ignoring God or wasted years being content with you saying, well, I just am this way. That's how I am. It's, it's who I think I am. Maybe you are just comfortable and God is saying, come along and stop believing those lies about yourself or believing those lies about other people. And it is hurting you. It's harming you. And I want to change that. He's saying those lies need to die. They need to be killed. They need to be laid down. You need to take up your cross, this instrument of death, in your beliefs and in some of your prejudices. You need to kill those things, lay them down, and take up new life in me to celebrate what I'm actually doing, to literally eat. To eat is celebration, particularly in a Jewish culture. It's very social, it's very relational, and it's a part of celebration. If you remember the story of the prodigal son, the older brother went outside, refused to celebrate that a lost person had come home, and he refused to go in and eat. What was he doing? He was refusing to change. He was refusing to celebrate what God was doing. And there are times in your life or in mine when you and I get stuck in our ways, stuck in our patterns, stuck in our belief, and God is coming along to use whatever number or years it takes to pursue your heart because he wants to change your thinking to match his love. And he'll do whatever it takes to accomplish that in your life. So what does Peter do? He actually responds to the invitation of these men, the invitation of Cornelius. He responds. And so he goes to visit Cornelius. He takes a couple days traveling about 40 miles north. They get there. And right when he got there in Acts chapter 10, verse 28, he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Well, who are the people that you might have a tendency to call impure? Who are the people that you might have a tendency to call unclean? I mean, you might hesitate to go on a mission trip because you think, well, the people there, they're dirty or that, that place is very uncivilized. Uh, you might reject the people you see in Walmart because they're like messy. They're in their pajamas. They've got bedhead, you know, like some of you watching church online right now. You might be rejecting them. But more often, isn't it the people who are at the opposite spectrum of your political party? Maybe it's people in authority that you've learned to fear or those you can't stand because they seem to have a perfect life when yours seems messy. Or maybe it's those whose behavior you despise in your religious rightness. I keep finding in my life that God has been over the years changing my heart to match his love when it comes to those who practice other religions, particularly in other countries. 
I think I used to fear their religious practice that they wouldn't ever be open to Jesus. But the further I get down the road, I find out that there are people who are pursuing God who want to know him. And God has an agenda to make critically clear to very zealous, very good, very sincere, noble people who want to seek him. He always finds a way to let them know about Jesus. Our world doesn't know what to do with that. We kind of just try to say, well, maybe, maybe God just accepts people from every religion. And that's not biblical. And that's not consistent even among world religions. What's consistent is that God identifies people who are seeking him and he will do whatever he can to make a way for them to know the truth about Jesus. So Peter says, God has shown me I shouldn't call anyone impure or unclean. And in Acts 10, 34, it says, then Peter began to speak. So he starts to share the gospel with them, but he begins to speak and he says this, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And I love the progression here and I want you to see it for a moment. Because the first thing God does is he confronts our prejudice. The first thing he does is he comes to us and he, he gives a vision. And he says, my love, there's something in your life that I want to change. I love you and I want you to match in your thinking and your behavior to match my love. So the first thing he's going to do is cause you and I to have an awakening that there's something in our life that God wants to change. But the beautiful thing that we see in Peter's experience is this. That Peter didn't say, well, God wants me to change this, so I'm just here doing it. No, what happens to Peter happens to you and to me. That when we have an awakening, when our thinking changes, when we begin to see God and how he loves people, what we do is we praise the character of God. What does he say here? He doesn't say, I realize that God's willing to take you all in. I, I think God's willing to accept you people, so that's why I'm here. Know what he says this, I now realize how true it is that God doesn't show favoritism. You know why he's, he all of a sudden has this awakening? Because growing up his whole life, he thought God did show favoritism. That they were the chosen people, the Jewish nation. And he didn't realize that the Jewish nation would be a blessing to the entire world because the Messiah to the entire world would come through the Jewish line and so what is his awakening? His awakening is he sees God in a new light. I realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts people from every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. So if you're taking notes, write this down. The sign of God's acceptance is the Holy Spirit. How does a person know if they're saved? The sign of God's acceptance is the Holy Spirit. So he begins to share about Jesus to these, these people, these Gentiles. And he says this in Acts 10, 43. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. So he's preaching to them. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit of God came on them. They were ready to believe. They wanted to believe. And so what do they do? The Holy Spirit came. Well, how did he know? Were there tongues of fire? No, we have no description of tongues of fire here. How do we know that that actually happened? 
We know because they start to speak in other languages that they hadn't previously learned. The same sign that was given to the apostles to be able to preach the good news about Jesus to all nations. They have that experiences. So speaking in other languages was an outward sign to prove to the apostles that the Holy Spirit had arrived in these new believers. Why? Why? Because the apostles needed to know that God was in this. They needed to know that people weren't just giving a cognitive assent, but maybe not chosen by God. What they needed to know is that God accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. So when the Holy Spirit came upon these people, Peter realizes the vision's been fulfilled of the blanket that God is showing me and changing my heart toward people I used to despise. He is saying the same Holy Spirit that I have received, they have received. Well, why doesn't speaking in formerly unlearned languages accompany salvation today? You're like, I got saved. I didn't start speaking in another language. I had to go to school for that, right? Well, here's why. It was a sign for the early church that change was in the air, that all people of all languages are now welcome into the family of God through belief in Jesus Christ because the sign of God's acceptance is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Write this down. Loving messy people emboldens religious people to soften. It emboldens religious people. See, Peter didn't just go down there by himself. He took some people with him. And what happens a lot of times is that when you have people who are pretty stout, they're pretty religious, but they begin to see radical love toward people that they maybe have, have prejudice against or they've learned to despise, it softens them. Your radical love toward other people softens someone who's religious in their own rightness. So Heather and I took a little bike ride. This is a little a bit ago, a couple weeks. And, and we were going down a road that's been constructed here in the area, but it hadn't been opened yet to automobile traffic. So it was really nice to ride a bike down a nice paved street. And they were going to be building homes all in that area. And they've done a bunch of grading. And as we're riding our bikes down the street, we see up ahead all the construction equipment, the big dirt movers and graders and everything. They're all parked because it's sunset time. Everybody's gone home. They're not working. They've just parked the trucks there overnight, but on top of one of the earth movers, this large, huge vehicle, there were two ladies who were sitting up there and they were watching the sunset. And so as we're riding along, we see them and Heather goes, oh, that's cool. Let's go over, she says, and ask if they want us to take pictures of them with like their cell phone or something because they look really cute, she said up there. So we ride over and we introduce ourselves and she says, do you guys want a picture? They're like, yes, we'd love one. So they, they like literally like hand down their phone, like using the headphones, you know, as a, as a cable because they're sitting really high up on the machine. Heather takes it. She takes a couple pictures, sends it back up to them. They eventually climb down and we begin a conversation. And, and one of the ladies just says, hey, I just want to let you know this might sound weird, but but uh, I actually kind of worship the sun. I draw energy off the sun. And I'm trying to teach my friend here that if you watch the sun with your eyes, like looking directly at the sun for the last 45 seconds till it goes down, you'll draw like this energy off the sun. And, you know, I'm listening to her and, I'm, and she's sincere. And as I'm listening to her, I also glance over at Heather because Heather is I could just see she's boiling. She's like not angry. She's, she's like, I need to let this lady know what the right way is. And she's, I could just see her almost like waiting to step in. And so as this lady's talking, she even starts to tell us about somebody she had read about or heard about that just looks at the sun all the time and never has to eat. 
So we're going, okay, that's, that's a really bad idea. That energy you're feeling, it's your retina's burning is what's happening there. But we wanted to be able to express, well, actually, let's talk about energy. I want to use energy as a, a way to have a door to begin to share about not the sun, but about the son of God. And not discount her experience but to begin to love them where they were and to say, you know what, there's something else. There's a God who created that son. There's something else. And so Heather says, no, that we believe in Jesus, the, the son of God, the one who created that. And I said, yeah, I'm actually, I actually am a pastor at a church and I, I'm preaching on energy like tomorrow and you ought to watch it. And so guess what? The next day, Sunday morning, that's a couple of weeks ago, I look and one of the ladies that we met was actually watching church online with Sun Grove Church. And she was not the one who was like, like really into it. She was just listening to her friend, but she started watching Sun Grove Church and she commented in the chat on that. And so I wanna just say, Reza, if you're watching today, that we wanna to continue to let you know that the God that you love and that you worship and the energy you pursue is found in Jesus Christ alone. In Jesus Christ alone. Acts chapter 10, verse 45 says this, the circumcised believers, these would be the religious people. The religious people who came along with Peter, they're circumcised, they follow the law, they're good law followers, and they're very religious, and they've been just as prejudiced as Peter has been, but you know what? They didn't get the vision, Peter got the vision. And they're kind of a suspect on this. So it says, the circumcised believers who would come with Peter were astonished. Mind-blowing, right? That the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on, even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Now, why would Peter say that? Because there's always one religious person who's gonna throw a penalty flag and say, no, 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 no. They gotta be Jewish like us or whatever, right? They're gonna bring their heritage. And so Peter's saying, listen, the same Holy Spirit that we have received has made himself evident on these people. Why were tongues a sign of the Holy Spirit? That was for the benefit of those apostles. So tongues told the apostles that the Holy Spirit accepted these people. But I gotta tell you, baptism tells everybody else. So tongues were intended to tell the apostles the Holy Spirit has arrived in these people. But baptism is a public proclamation. It's intended to tell everyone else what is the public sign that God requires of all people who put their faith and trust in him, in Jesus as Lord? It's baptism, the sacrament of baptism, to believe and to be baptized and so Peter calls the audible right there. Listen, they've received it just as us. And so these people can be baptized. They've received the same Holy Spirit. If you're taking notes today, write this down. Baptism screams, Jesus already washed away my sins. It screams it out loud. Baptism is public. Receiving Jesus oftentimes can be very private for people. It can be a decision you make online. It can be a time when you're alone in your car. It can be a time when you're sitting in church and you make a decision to spoken. You can have a friend share with you the gospel and you respond to that. It's oftentimes very private and the signs of the speak, speaking in other languages isn't around because in that same way because they don't, you know, we don't have apostles that we're trying to impress that the Holy Spirit has come on us. It was a change in the air practice a change in the air moment 
when they would speak in other languages they hadn't received. And the purpose of that was to praise God in other languages so that all nations and all peoples and all races will come to faith through Christ. So what happens? All those people who come to faith with all those different languages and all those different backgrounds do one thing in common. We get baptized because baptism screams to all the people around us that Jesus has already done a work in my heart. He has already changed me. I've put my faith and trust in him. I have changed teams. That's what baptism says and it says it publicly. Changes in the air. If you've not been baptized, get it done. Get it done. Get a Christian friend, a backyard pool, go down to the river, whatever you need to do. Take a video of it, send it in to us at Sun Grove and we'd love to to actually just celebrate with you that decision that you made. But for some of us, you've been baptized. And I need to ask, how is God currently getting your attention to change your heart to match his love? How is he getting you to begin thinking about loving people who are pretty messy, people who are very unlike you, people that you may have rejected in the past? How is God changing you to let messy people know that their sins could be washed away too? One of the things I see in those who have believed in Jesus Christ, those who follow through and obeyed by being baptized, they love seeing other people get saved too. They love it. One of the markers of Sun Grove Church, one of the things that God uses us for is that other people hear the gospel and they get saved through it. And I just noticed one of the things I love about the people who call Sun Grove Church their church home is that they love seeing lost people get saved because they've experienced it and they want a lost world to know that there is faith through Jesus Christ. There's forgiveness of their sins that they too can be clean. So if you in a tough year have been fantasizing about having change in the air. Maybe you've thought about running away to the mountains or running away to the beach. I want you to know that God is constantly working, even in hard seasons, to change your thinking to match his love. And maybe today for the first time, it's just you opening your heart to respond to his love. That for the first time you're realizing that Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, He satisfied all of the righteous, right God's wrath against sin, including ours. And he satisfied that. So when God looks at you now, when you put your faith, your belief, your trust in Jesus's death on the cross, God looks at you and he sees that all his wrath that would have been focused on you was satisfied in Jesus. It's been redirected. It's been paid in full. And now God looks at you and says, I will wash away all your sins. And if that's you right now, you're saying, I need that. I need to make that decision. I need to pray that prayer. I need to take that step. And then I need to follow up and be baptized. If that's you today, then pray a prayer like this right where you are. Just say something like this. Jesus, today, I give you my heart. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried. You rose to new life because you're God. And I ask you to cleanse me and wash me as white as snow. Give me your Holy Spirit and make me a new creation on the inside because today, Jesus, I give you me. 
And for those of us who have prayed that prayer and experienced the work of God's Holy Spirit in our lives, we celebrate with you. And if you prayed that prayer right now, we wanna know, like put that in the chat. If you, still, if you prayed that prayer right now, you are a new creation. Your sins are gone. You don't have to fear death, that God will bring you to his forever family because he loves you. And now he wants to continue to work to change your heart and my heart to match his love. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.